0: Jesus, we come before you in your strong name, and our hearts are uh, heavy from this week's tragedy school shooting in Texas, and Lord, when we see this, we just, we long all the more for your kingdom to come and your will be done, Jesus. Lord, we pray for those families who have lost loved ones, can't imagine the trauma and the pain that they're experiencing. Lord, we just wanna pray that you will just stretch out your hand of compassion and minister to them your love and grace, Jesus, please. Lord, we pray that uh, for that entire community, Lord, that your presence will be palpably experienced, and that, Lord, what Satan meant for evil, Lord, that you will bring out of the ashes your kingdom. Bring your goodness, bring your love. And Lord, also on this day where we celebrate Memorial Day, where Over a million people paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom in this country. We want to pray your blessing upon those families. We thank you, Lord, for uh, calling us into this country. We pray, Lord, that we will be a bright light in this country. We thank you for this gift of being here, Lord, and we want to pray your blessing over it. And we also recognize, Jesus, that we are ultimately citizens of the kingdom of God. So, Lord, as we engage your word, engage your text, Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, won't you lift us up? And when we're discouraged, encourage. Where we are weak, strengthen. And Lord, where we are feeling in despair, bring your hope. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, last week we uh, talked about um, tongues and prophecy. Thought we'd take a little bit of a break this week and discuss healing. This is another controversial topic, and I think that's why we want to dive into it, because this is something, as you read the Gospels, it's all over the Gospels. And when we look at the kingdom of God coming, one of the expressions of the kingdom is you see Jesus performing signs, wonders, miracles, and healing. And so we want to dive into it, especially as we look at the sermon series called Alive in the Spirit, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now living in us. And so the ministry that Christ has called us to engage in is the same ministry that he engaged in. So what does it mean for us as a church to to, uh, be faithful to this ministry called healing? I also recognize that for some, This is, it's a mixed bag, including the person that's behind the pulpit. I, 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 it's a struggle to talk about this in some ways because, you know, in certain times of our life, we experience like the wind in our back. Like, we just feel like the presence of the Lord. We open God's word and it's just rich and we read the promises of God and it just feels like the promises are coming true on a daily, in fact, every second basis. The Lord feels so close and near, like our spiritual life is up and to the right? And there's other times in, in, our, in, in the seasons of our Christian walk where it doesn't feel like the Lord is close. We read the promises of God and his, his presence seems so far away. And so we struggle when we're reading through the Gospels and all of the signs and the wonders and the miracles are happening. We think, Lord, how come this isn't coming my way? And as a result, it can lead to disappointment. Disappointment. When this is our expectation, this is our experience in life, but yet this is what we anticipate because this is what we read in the Gospels. And that distance or the gap between those two of what we experience and what we read, we sometimes fill that gap with some disappointment or despair. And if we're not careful, that disappointment and despair will turn into cynicism, doubt, and not only doubt, but disillusionment, and not just disillusionment, deconstruction. And we'll continue to move further and further away from the Lord. And for some of us, that's maybe where you're at here this morning. So, when we talk about healing, I recognize that that both of those are at play for some people in this room. So, what will give us a source of encouragement? Where can we turn? John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist, he had a strong ministry. He he started out strong. He was the the forerunner to Christ. He baptized Jesus. No one on planet Earth in the history of this world can say, I baptized Jesus except for John the Baptist. That's pretty good. He saw signs, wonders, and miracles. And yet, by the time he gets to the end of his life, he's sitting in a jail cell, and he begins to go through a season of doubt and disillusionment. And he sends a messenger off to Jesus, and he, he has a question. Are you the one who is the Messiah, or should we expect someone else? Because Jesus, I see the signs, I see the wonders, I see the miracles, but I'm in prison. I see the things that are going on around your ministry, but here's the experience that I'm having in my life. John the Baptist And as you look at Christ, who is alive in the spirit, as we saw in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Christ alive in the spirit, he performed signs, wonders, and miracles. Jesus heals an official son at Capernaum in Galilee. Jesus heals Peter's mother in law. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Jesus heals a centurion's paralyzed servant. Jesus heals a paralytic who was let down from the roof. Jesus heals a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. Jesus heals a woman in the crowd with an issue of blood. Jesus raises Jairus' daughter back to life. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals a man who is unable to speak. Jesus heals an invalid at Bethesda. Jesus heals many sick at Gennesaret as they touch his garment. Jesus heals a Gentile woman's demon-possessed daughter. Jesus heals a deaf and dumb man. Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. Jesus heals a man born blind by spitting in his eyes. That's my personal favorite, the spitting in the eye miracle. Jesus heals a woman who had been crippled for 18 years. Jesus heals a man with dropsy on the Sabbath. Jesus heals the 10 lepers on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. Jesus restores sight to Bartimaeus in Jericho. Jesus heals a servant's severed ear while he's being arrested. And John the Baptist is in jail. How do we bring those two together? When you look at the healings of Christ and what he came to do, and yet we still live in a broken world, a world that's succumb to suffering and pain and hurt, and yet you see the power and the miracles that are displayed throughout the Gospels, in fact, throughout the New Testament. How do we bring these two together? That's why we're talking about it this morning. So as we talk about healing, we're gonna look at, at it under three headings. The purpose of healing, the motivation for healing, and if we have time, uh, frequently ask questions in regards to healing, and then we're going to engage actually in an opportunity, a time where if you're here this morning and you have something broken, either physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we're just going to have some time just to pray and invite the presence of the Lord here, here, by His compassion that He will bring His healing. So, what is the purpose of healing? As we look at the Gospels, Jesus never uses his power like the Marvel movies display. He never uses his power for just raw demonstrations of what he can do. He never goes into a crowd and says, watch this, and flies around, or picks up camels and starts to juggle them. He never picks up donkeys by his finger. Look at what I can do. He never does those things as a raw demonstration of power. He never does it. Every time he heals, he's always pointing to something larger. Not only... A state that was way, way far back in history, but also a state that is way, way, way in the future that is to come, and that is creation and the new creation. Creation as it was before sin entered into the world, he's pointing back to that when, kingdom, when the God's kingdom rule and reign and there was no presence of sin on earth, but then also way, way for, uh, forward when Jesus rends the heavens, comes down and restores all things, brings the new heavens, new earth, and the new creation. When he heals, he's always pointing to the kingdom, the kingdom of God that is now and not yet, that we're beginning to experience here. We have echoes of, foretastes of, we have an appetizer, and yet the kingdom of God hasn't fully come. But when Jesus heals, what he's declaring is, is the kingdom is now and the kingdom is not yet. If you think this is good, the best is yet to come. So Jesus' healings are always a pointer to his kingdom. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is Christ's inaugural speech. Anytime you do an inaugural speech, you're always displaying or communicating the nature of your administration. This is what Jesus declares is the nature of his administration. Luke 4, 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me, quoting Isaiah, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he goes on to say, and a few verses later, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, laying his hands on each one. He healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, for that is the reason why I was sent. That's the purpose. The purpose for my coming is to bring and proclaim the kingdom. Our mission statement at Wellspring is to proclaim the glory of God's kingdom amidst a broken world. Everything goes back to the kingdom. Why do we plant churches? The kingdom. Why do we pray for people? The kingdom. Why do we want to see disciples characterized by worship formation mission? The kingdom. Why do we we want to see citywide renewal? The kingdom. Why are we engaged in worship service? It's the kingdom. Everything is about the kingdom. Where did we get that from? Jesus. Everything that Jesus did, he was pointing to the kingdom because the purpose for which he was sent, as he says in Luke 4:43, the reason why he was sent is to proclaim the kingdom, the kingdom that is now and not yet. The kingdom of God, which is characterized by, expressed by signs, wonders, miracles. Every time he performs a miracle, it's pointing to the kingdom that is here and not yet. The kingdom that was experienced in creation before sin, the kingdom that we will experience when he comes back again. And in the kingdom, those expressions are the most normal and the natural thing of all. In the kingdom of God, let me ask you, in the kingdom, is crime normal? No, I'll give you the answer. No, it's not. Is suffering normal? No. What about injustice, sickness? No, no. Those things are abnormal. They are not present in the kingdom of God. And that's why when Jesus calms the storm, casts out demons, cares for the poor, is an advocate for justice, heals the sick, these things are not what we would consider supernatural because they are the most natural thing of all in the kingdom. In the words of Tim Keller, these signs, wonders, miracles, and healings are not suspension of the natural laws. Rather, they are the restoration of the natural laws. When we see broken bodies healed, relationships mended, that's the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom, those sorts of things are the most normal, natural expressions of who God is and what he's created us for which means that we should have a holy dissatisfaction than anything that is not that. Poverty in slums, school shootings, racism, divorce, mental illness, physical illness, anything that is not representative of the kingdom, we should have a holy dissatisfaction for. And we as the body of Christ, as ambassadors of Jesus, who carry agency by the power of the Spirit, engage in the same mission that Jesus engaged in, which is the kingdom. And I can prove it. Luke chapter 9, when Jesus sends out the disciples, he says he sent them out to do what? To proclaim the kingdom and to heal the sick. Healing the sick was an expression of the kingdom now and not yet. Luke chapter 10, he not only sends out the 12, but he also sends out the 72, which some commentaries would ascribe to pointing to uh, the the entire church, the people of God, the citizens of the kingdom. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. He said, heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and 9, Paul says, you each have been given gifts. Gifts for what purpose? To manifest the spirit, manifest Christ, to to bring the body together and to reveal the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each of you, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. That gets repeated throughout. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. That when we engage in healing... And when we do the works of the kingdom, it is revealing that we are alive in the spirit, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now living in us. And because we are alive in Christ, we do the things that Christ did for the purpose of serving others and revealing the glory of the resurrected Christ to a lost and a broken world. That's what we engage in. Healings are evidence of the kingdom of God. So anytime we see that, we rejoice. There is joy in the kingdom When Molly Urso gave her testimony a number of months ago about how she was miraculously healed, there was joy in this place. Why? Because the kingdom of God is now, it's here. We heard testimony of David's child being healed. There's joy. Why? The kingdom of God is now, it's here. It's being revealed by by signs, wonders, healings. My daughter was healed from her hearing loss. We hear stories of that, we we, we rejoice, we respond with rejoice because that's the kingdom of God breaking into this sin-sick, dark world. If there's anything that tells us over this past week that we live in a dark world, it's this week. As you look at and you hear all the things that are happening in the news, the world is looking for healing, looking for light, looking for life, who has it? It's the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ empowered, By the Holy Spirit. So, this is the work that we're called to engage in. I love what Roland Baker says. He's talking about the kingdom of God. I would read the scripture longingly, trying to imagine how wonderful it would be not to worry about anything. What would that be like? That's the kingdom. Not worry about anything, safe and secure in the presence of Jesus all the time. Miracles would be normal, love would be natural. We could always give and never lose. We could be lied to, cheated to, stolen from, and yet we would always come out ahead. We would be, we'd have to take it, oh, I'm sorry. Where is it? You can read it up there. It's really, it's, it's really good. <laughs> we could be lied to, cheated and stolen from, and yet we would always come out ahead. We would never have to take advantage of anyone or have any motive to bless, any motive but to bless other people. We would freely give just as we have freely received. Our hearts would be carefree in the love of our Father in heaven who always knows what we need. And we could get on with the glorious business of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. In the kingdom of God, there would always be enough. Because in the kingdom, love would be normal. Miracles would be natural. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And when we think about the kingdom there's two things that we need to consider. First is we have to guard our hearts against an over-realized eschatology and an under-realized eschatology. Over-realized eschatology says that no matter what happens, this old world will look exactly like the next. Not so, because the kingdom is now absolutely, but it's not yet. And that's why we have hope that Christ will come back again and set all things right. But the equal danger is not to have over-realized eschatology, but I would say in the church the danger is under-realized eschatology that we just succumb ourselves to despair and discouragement because we don't think anything will change and so therefore we don't have any faith and what I would say is don't have over-realized eschatology but also don't have underrealized eschatology because the kingdom of God is breaking in the kingdom is now and it's not yet and when we see brokenness that is in our world we don't give up praying unless that person is dead or until the Lord says stop praying for them that we have that kind of persevering prayer. I love what John Wimber says. He said, I decided long ago that if a hundred people receive prayer and only one is healed, it is better than if none receive prayer and no one is healed. And I've resolved in my heart to take that on. I would rather have 99 confusing no's and one answer to prayer for healing than 100 times of not praying at all. And so therefore, no one is healed. And I would encourage all of us not to give up, that in between these two ditches, when that tension is pulling us to one side or the other, that we stand fast, that we stand and have a faithful presence in between, also living out faithfully, continually to cry out to God for his kingdom to come, to be revealed through these miracles, because it's what the world needs. So what do what, what does healing point to or what is the purpose of healing? It points to the kingdom. That's the purpose. It's about revealing the kingdom of God to a lost and a broken world. Second, what is the motivation for the prayer of healing? What is the motivation that we are to have? Anytime, you, a, lot, well, not anytime a lot of times when you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus, you see the motive come out in the scriptures where he, he heals or he moves out because he has a particular kind of emotion. And the emotion is compassion. And what is an emotion? It comes from the root word motive. It's what motivates him, it's what moves him towards something. And what moves him towards the brokenness of the world is compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. Jesus went out, went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. He he was willing to suffer with, he was motivated, he was moved towards the brokenness of the world so that he could bring his healing power to come to bear upon the brokenness of humanity. And we are so broken, we are hurting in a thousand points. I can point to my life and I can look relational, I can look emotional, I can look physically, I can look in a lot of different areas of my life and I can point to brokenness and hurt and suffering. And we all can. You know why? Why is it that we could take an entire day and talk about all the ways that we're broken and fallen short, like physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually? Why? Because we're sheep. And sheep are prone to suffer. (laughs) We're, the staff is reading a book about the heart of a shepherd, and on day six it talks about the heart of a shepherd as, um, and also just the proneness of sheep to to die, <laughs> uh, and it's by Jan Arthus Bertrand. He says this: It's amazing the variety of ways a sheep can find a die. That's encouraging. Uh, They are susceptible to, I don't even know what this is, braxy They are susceptible to braxy, pulpy kidney, staggers, pneumonia, pastorella, twin lamb disease, cancer, I know what that is, hypothermia in the winter, maggots in the summer, scab, scapes, foxes, crows, and dogs. They push their heads through fences and get stuck. They climb trees to pick up foliage, and they hung up by their horns and legs. They fall down banks, get bitten by snakes, or stung by wasps. They tumble in the ponds and streams. They gorge themselves on fallen ash leaves, roll on their backs, and blow up like balloons. They poison themselves on ragworts. and rams regularly grow horns into their own head. They starve, they freeze, they get depressed, and they fall ill. But a good shepherd can counter every affliction. Your good shepherd can counter and does counter every affliction. We are sheep, and like sheep, at different points of our life, we have gone astray. Like sheep, we suffer and hurt. And like these sheep, we need a good shepherd who brings his healing. And God has given us the ministry of the great shepherd to be agents of healing for one another, purpose of building up the church and glorifying the resurrected Christ. And the motivation that we have to engage in the ministry of healing is the same motivation that Jesus had, which is compassion. The reason why he was drawn to the sheep is because he recognized that they were sheep without a shepherd. He recognized that they were prone to suffering and pain and hurt and death, and he was drawn to them. So also we are motivated, we are moved with compassion. That is the motivation for healing which means it, we do not grab a hold of or desire the gift of healing in the same way Bruce Almighty does. Not for our purpose, not for glorifying self. Our desire and our main desire is so that we can serve others. To serve others. Okay. The purpose of healing, proclaim the kingdom. The motivation for healing, compassion. The, the suffering with, the willing to step into those places of hurt and pain. Next, what are some frequently asked questions? The first question that I get a lot is, is what is the relationship between faith and healing? And for some, some people in this room, you have been hurt a lot because of false teachers. Teachers who have said, the reason why you aren't healed, you who are suffering, is because you lack faith. And there's all sorts of guilt and shame put, put on that person. But as we look at the scriptures, there does seem to be a connection between faith and healing. Question, what is it? What is it? Now, for some, this might be satisfying. For others, this may not be. But as you look at the scriptures, it is absolutely true. There is a connection. Jesus, when he was restoring the sight to the blind man in Matthew chapter 9, he says, According to your faith, this was done. In Matthew 15, verse 28, a woman, he said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. So faith was involved. Mark 5, verse 34, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Blind Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. He couldn't do many miracles in his hometown. Why? Because of a lack of faith. So there is a connection. But we have to be very careful in terms of ascribing that to a particular person. Because sometimes it is the faith of the person that's sick. But sometimes it's not. Because even the four people that lowered uh, the paralyzed man down through the roof, it says that Jesus looked at their faith, not the person who was sick, but his four friends. And it was their faith that moved Christ to bring about healing. The centurion servant. Jesus saw the faith of the centurion servant, but not the faith of the, the servant. We don't even know where the spiritual uh, status was of the servant. We don't know if they were a pagan, if they worshiped Roman or Greek gods. We don't know But it was the faith of the centurion, not the centurion's servant. Lazarus and the young boy who died. Now, as a general principle, dead people don't have faith. So what is it? What's the relationship between faith and healing? And I like what John Mark Comer says. He says, it takes faith to heal, and Jesus will grab it wherever he can find it. Whether it's the faith of the sick person, the friend, or the person praying. It takes faith to heal, and Jesus will grab it wherever he can find it. Wherever he can find it. And by the way, faith is not faith in faith, as I've mentioned before. It's not the strength of your faith that brings about the healing. It's not the strength of the faith that brings about salvation. It's the object of the faith. Because you can have really strong faith, but if you have faith in the wrong thing, it doesn't work out. If you're over a chasm and you have tremendous faith in a little twig, That twig will give way. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. In that twig, the twig can't hold you. However, if you're holding on a log, something substantial, and you have weak faith, you will hold, you will be saved, not because of the strength of your faith, but in the object that you're putting your faith in. As I've mentioned before, faith is not what you look at, it's what you look through. And the object of our faith is Jesus, who has the power to heal, the power to save. So that's the relationship between faith and healing. It takes faith to heal, and Jesus will grab it wherever he can find it. Second question that I oftentimes ask, or is asked to me, is why doesn't God heal all the time? We also see that in Scripture, for example, in Philippians chapter 2 with Epaphroditus. The Scriptures say he was ill and almost died. Paul, why can't you do that handkerchief thing again? You know, bring out Peter in his shadow, bring healing to Epaphroditus. Apparently Paul prayed for Paphroditus, and apparently Paphroditus did not get healed. Why? We don't know. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 20, Paul says, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Well, why didn't you try to pray for healing for him? He probably did. And for some reason, according to God's mystery, he wasn't healed. Timothy, one of his most valiant disciples had a weak stomach. Paul himself prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh should be taken away. We don't know what the thorn was, but the word got back to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you. Don't bank on the healing, bank on my grace. But why weren't these people healed? We do not know. We can't connect all the dots. But as we do look at scripture, there are a few things that we can see in regards to why healing doesn't happen. Not all the time, but some of the time. First, there is a lack of faith because as we mentioned before, Jesus went to his hometown, and he could not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. So there is a connection there. Number two, because of sin. Now, we have to be extremely careful of this, because just because somebody is sick and isn't healed doesn't mean that it's necessarily that they're in sin. But we do see in uh, James chapter 5, at least in this case, the reason why this person isn't healed is because of sin, And the reason why they do get healed is because they confess their sin. In verse 15 and 16 of chapter 5. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up if they have sinned. They will be forgiven. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So as the person confesses their sin, they are healed, and the healing is an outward expression of the fact that they have been forgiven. And what some of the commentators would say is the sin that this person um, did was a sin against the community. There was some kind of resentment or jealousy towards the community. And as they confess their sin to community, they are healed from their sickness as an expression of the fact that they have been forgiven. Number three, a lack of persevering prayer. James 4 says, you don't receive because you do not ask. And this is what I've seen time and time again. We pray for somebody to be healed or not healed, and then we just kind of give up. And I like what John Wimber says. He says, pray for that person until either they die or until the Lord clearly speaks to you. Stop praying for them. My grace is sufficient. But oftentimes we just give up and we have a lack of perseverance. Number four, demon oppression. Luke chapter 13, verse 11. Um, Satan kept this person bound for 18 years. They were bound. Uh, One of the healings that I engaged in a number of years ago, I walked into this person's home and this, this lady was in excruciating pain. And before we prayed for her, Um, we sensed that there was some demonic activity. So we cast out the demons. We cast out the demons, and then we prayed for her healing. And she was healed miraculously. And then her five sons who were present in the room, we shared the gospel with them, and all five of her sons gave their life to Christ. But before we prayed for healing, there was something that needed to be unhooked, unhinged. And when that took place, healing came. But we had to drive out the demon. So oftentimes there is, this, or sometimes there is sickness as a result of demon oppression. But see, that's, that's, the tempta- that's the struggle that we oftentimes feel. When we go into a house, we cast out demon, we heal somebody on the spot. Five people give their life to Jesus, and we rejoice. The kingdom of God has come. And yet at the same time, I pray and fast for a year and a half for my best friend to be healed of cancer. And he dies. Why? The kingdom is now, and it's not yet. Number five, greater grace. This is we mentioned with Paul. Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And number six, God is sovereign over all things. It's a sovereign mystery. We do not know. But this is the response that we're called to engage in, is to be a community of prayer, prayer for healing. That we don't draw back from those that are hurting within our community. But we draw in, and we be agents of shalom, agents of peace, agents of healing.